Hello, everybody, and welcome to the very first episode of Aligning America. I'm your host, Vincent Miller, and we're going to jump right into things. This podcast, in general, is going to be my opinion on political events, occurrences, and, and my takes, hot takes, if you would, on what is really going on in America. And, and I think everyone that wants to look into politics, everyone who's looking especially engaged due to 2020, I think everyone can can understand that these are these are serious times and these are serious events going on all around us. And even those who are unengaged, non-political, traditionally independent, they've started to realize that uh, America is becoming more of a red versus blue on a day to day basis than it ever has been. Now, you could joke about the Civil War, but in all sincerity, in the past 100 years, we haven't seen division, hatred, overall callousness in politics like this since the Red Scare. And it's it's. It's concerning. Um, even if politics moves in cycles and society moves in cycles, this isn't how it should be. This is not how the standard has to be. And this is not how it needs to move forward. I myself, I'm a left-leaning independent. Um, some would say libertarian. Some would say socialist. That's really just the American, the American way of classification. Um, I, I believe in the ability of one person to rule their own life. I think the United States government has a sovereign duty, a a very, very core duty as a government to provide for its people and protect their individual rights while protecting markets and moving the country forward together, not leaving people behind, not sacrificing this for that. It It is one movement as we all rise together. And I think policies such as universal basic income, improved Medicare, that does not mean socialized medicine for all those listening. That just means improved Medicare in one way or another. I'm willing to compromise, not on the belief that people should go without health care, not that people need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but rather I understand the fear. I understand the fear mongering that Americans have been indoctrinated with, the joke about a six-month wait time to go to the doctors in Canada, the joke about people dying in the emergency room in the UK. While these things are obviously untrue, these things are obviously falsities, it's going to take a long time for the United States public, the general public, that is, to come around on ideas like this due to things like the Red Scare, things like socialism being a buzzword, um, failed states like Cuba, Venezuela. These things are buzzwords that scare many Americans, a lot of conservative Americans, even independent Americans, into straying away from policies like Medicare for All that may very well benefit them. Uh, words like the 1%. Medicare for all, the Green New Deal, these are all buzzwords. They, they scare the average American. And this podcast is, is really just here to highlight that hypocrisy on both sides, the Democrats and the Republicans, uh, the two major parties of the duopoly that absolutely destroys Americans' livelihoods. It, it, it absolutely pillages what could be a beautiful future as we move forward day to day. And I'm going to have examples one to a hundred. So we're just going to jump right into things. One major news story, Nancy Pelosi. As a figure, and I think it's important that we, we outline in this first episode how I feel about certain things and how I think um, improvements could be made. I think politicians on the right are far more overt about their actions. They're very obvious in their corrupted political leaning ways. I think um, things like the Merrick Garland case and then compared to the now uh, obvious similar situation that we have with Amy, um, their flip-flopping on issues like that is very obvious. But I think politicians on the left often get away with it 
under a shield of identity politics. I think they could get away with it, a nice shield of, of liberal justice warrior. I mean, it, it's it's all remnant of, of that holier than thou. And I understand that both sides do come at us with that, but it, it it's very prevalent on the Democratic side. Um, Nancy Pelosi, of course, she is the Speaker of the House. She is in charge, effectively in charge of, of state Democrats right now. Um, she refused to take the revised deal the $1.9 trillion deal, she refused. Um, what what did she refuse over? Some very, very convincing arguments she brought forth. It, it's understandable that she doesn't want to give free windfall money to large corporations. That was written in the deal by the, Demo- or the Republicans. I understand that. I, I truly do. And actually, I agree that there's no reason to have anything in that stimulus bill other than $1,000 plus going to each American over 18. Th- there's no reason. However... I understand that this is this is the way the American compromise works. You do have to give a little to get some. And quite honestly, this is money that is incredibly necessary. You have people starving. You have food banks running out and you you have very importantly, you have the winter months coming. It's going to be difficult for those who who cannot provide for themselves, who are going to be furloughed, laid off, kicked out of their house, you know, latent on rent and then kicked out. I mean, these people will start to suffer en masse. And I don't think you can stand there and say, as Nancy Pelosi did, we're not going to take the deal because we don't want to improve Donald Trump's chance at reelection. This isn't the time to play politics. The time to play politics was never. However, the only appropriate time to try and angle for a better deal was at the very beginning. And she lost that edge. She lost that chance. And now she sacrificed her own political legitimacy as she continues to fight and, and claim scratch and claw at the left and right. Because there are progressive challengers, people like Ro Khanna, Shahid Buttar, and Andrew Yang. All three of them have come out very, very aggressively against her policies of no deal, no benefits to Trump. It's it's truly saddening to see uh, centrist Democrats center around her and Biden and try and defend these actions of playing politic. It's it's sad. Um, however, she's going to continue. She's going to keep doing it. And and in the end, we'll we'll see no change. We'll see Donald Trump, quote unquote, lose to Nancy Pelosi while millions of Americans starve. Millions of Americans go without shelter. It's it's incredibly depressing. And I, I'm not sure why we've gotten to the state of affairs, but it's very important to point out that people like Nancy Pelosi are equally at fault. Well, perhaps not quite as obviously. She is the one stopping it now. It is no longer Donald Trump's fault for as long as it was. And as long as it was Mitch McConnell's, it no longer is. And you can only blame someone for as long as they were doing something. And now that it's come to her part of the table, she refuses to play the game. Um, this brings me into Shahid. He's challenging her in her district, of course, very famously. She's held on for a long time. Um, another reason why term limits for Congress would be perhaps the right way to go. And there's a discourse to be there, uh, be had there. But Shahid Buttar, he's coming at you know, Nancy Pelosi's district with a Bernie Sanders AOC type far left. And I, I joke far left. It's not on the national on the international scale. It isn't the national scale. It obviously is. He, he is coming at her with some interesting arguments. Green New Deal term limits, you know, possibly universal basic income. He's he's expressed support for it. Medicare for all green. You know, these are the progressive standards and he's coming at her with a unified and organized base and it's interesting to see these incumbents face final you know finally facing challenges and i think that's largely part to the internet 
I think engagement over 2016 after that election, a lot of younger folks got engaged in politics and the Internet has become a hotbed for political discourse. But also, I think it's been an excellent tool to mobilize, as seen in 2016 when Bernie Sanders almost had an upset victory in the primary. And then candidates like Andrew Yang, Pete Buttigieg, that wouldn't have come as far as they did without the Internet uh, creating a little catalyst for them in the early days of the campaign. Uh, That said... Um, will he win? That's impossible to know, but it, it doesn't look horribly likely, um, though it is great to see this precedent grow as as challengers come to, to sprout up and fight the incumbent Democrats and incumbent Republicans. I'd rather see new faces on both sides because I think new, faith, new faces mean change, and change is generally for the best. Uh, change is the only way we get progress on either side, for the record, it, and it's why I think the label progressive has been cannibalized by the left. I think there should be progress on all sides. I understand that traditional national uh, nativist sentiment on the, the, the right would not easily bend to a progress-focused um ideology, a progress-focused campaign, but it can be done as seen in the the UK, as seen in Canada. Their far-right parties, and I I joke again, far-right, their right-leaning parties are are very clearly still quote-unquote progressive in the United States, and I think that's something that we're going to have to catch up and is highlighted in a lot of our policies and the failings of our policies, especially by the coronavirus Uh, these days. I think it's it's truly abhorrent. But... um, it, it shows the weakness. It also shows that unified challengers are coming together. And as Pelosi takes the chance on Wolf Blitzer to rip into Rokana, to attack Andrew Yang and to attack Shahid, I think it's important that we realize that these names are only there because we let them be there. These people have gained prominence. They've gained some stature in the national eye. And I think these these people are, are going to start pushing at least the discourse, the Overton window, to the left and to the left and to the left. It's what Bernie Sanders did on Medicare for All. It's what AOC did on the Green New Deal and climate change action. And it's what Andrew Yang did on universal basic income. And it's these sort of actors that perhaps won't get the policy pushed through, but it will make the change that's necessary for 20 years down the line when we make it happen. Um, And I I try to be optimistic about these things because it's the only way you'll survive in politics. But um, we'll move on to another subject being Amy Comey Barrett. She has started her hearings or court hearings, even though the Senate is still adjourned, I'll remind you, they've started the hearings, they're pushing it through, they are truly trying to Hail Mary this through, and I think they will. I don't see any reason why she won't get confirmed. That said, at least two of the members on the House, uh, the the committee that is confirming her have COVID-19, which is just a bit bit whimsical, bit comical. Um, there are a few things to of note during her first day of hearings. One, she had a blank notepad. She was called out at one point, and she was seem, seemingly proud, and that's a very Trumpian thing to do, made me laugh. Uh, she was proud of not taking notes during the hearing. It's also a bit comical when she was unable to recall some of the previous comments made during the hearing. She was unable to recall some of the statements made previously. Um, I'm not sure. I think it's, it's just a general lack of... Uh, preparedness. I think I, I think that's a, a proud point for her, though. Um, and I think that's a very Trumpian populist sort of strongman argument made uh, during that hearing that she would smile and wave while she she paraded around with her insolence. But that's her. Um, and it, it seemed to score points on the right. Um, she also refused to answer questions. We'll get to this one later because there were another two 
um, lovely national figures that refuse to answer a great many number of questions that we will talk about. But she seemed to once again delight in saying, no, I refuse to answer the question. No, it's a, a private decision on this, that or the other. Largely, Kamala Harris spoke about um, the right to contraceptives and uh, the right, I believe it was the right to abortion as well that uh, they were talking about, and, and she would not disclose her opinion on it. Obviously, as a smart political move, as if she did, she would be outed as being anti-abortion, which is obviously one of those horribly kept secrets. She 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 is very very obviously conservative in that mindset, and she considers herself a originalist. An originalist, I think, was the term that she used, which means uh, she fundamentally understands the Constitution as it was originally written, which would imply a great number of issues as the Constitution is a living document and it was meant that way by the founders. And I, I find it a bit comical when people try and claim that we should listen to the original words when the original words were to listen to the new words. Um, again, difficult for me to square away in my mind with my knowledge of the Constitution, even general knowledge of the Constitution, um, but that is her claim. That is her her hill that she wants to die on, and and the 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 place she wants to put her flag and and smile. So she has made herself a national figure with a set ideology, and she is certainly popular amongst a large group of Republicans and a large group of conservatives, even independents who are leaning conservatively. Of course, would make sense. Um, overall, rather uneventful um, regarding her, uh, Mr. Whitehouse during those hearings talked about uh, courts and dark money, uh, an entirely different argument and an entirely different subject to get into, but it was a fascinating show. He was very akin to uh, Katie Porter, Congresswoman Katie Porter, who does an excellent uh, show even. she was She's very uh, show woman-y. Um, she uses a visual aid, a whiteboard, when uh, grilling as, as the cool kids would say, when, when putting their hands to the fire during investigations regarding CEOs, high-ranking members of large corporations, and it's very fun to watch. Uh, Mr. Whitehouse did indeed pull a stunt very similar. He pulled out, I believe it was a whiteboard, and uh, attempted to make connections to dark money in the judicial system, and it was, it was a great show. Um, I think the Democrats need to be far more embracing of these sort of tactics as these gotcha moments in court hearings, in, in investigations like this, are what scores points in the media. And I know it's traditionally shunned, but it's it's what they need to do if they attempt to gain the quote-unquote common man's vote. I don't think you're going to win by holding your nose and saying we're above that, um, as, as sad as it may be. And I know it's interesting to champion civility and then turn on my own heels and, and claim that you need to do the dirty stuff. But that that is not what I consider do, dirty stuff. I consider insults. I consider you know, uncouth language during court hearings, I consider all of that to be stooping too low. I don't consider bringing facts. I don't consider asking good questions to be stooping too low. And I know traditionally, maybe in the 50s, 60s, 70s, that was true. But at this point, the American discourse is far more real. A lot of the flowers and gold and, and especially like the gilded nature of American politics has fallen apart. And it's not what the American people want. And we saw that with Donald Trump's election. There is no, quote unquote, uh, 
sophisticated political class. That's that's no longer what the American people want elected. That's no longer what the American people feel represents them properly. Um, and you could argue that's due to a change in nature of culture. You could argue that's because Americans feel they've been left behind by that class of people and no longer want to live vicariously through the pompous lives of those those members of Congress, those members uh, of the elected body. But when it's all said and done, these sort of actions need to be taken by Democrats. And I think it's it's important that if the left is going to get goals accomplished, if they're going to prove that they have uh, not only tough skin, but but tough nails to dig into the opponent's skin, you won't get anything done. And it's not so much I want them to destroy the Republicans or destroy the evangelicals. It's not about that. It's about making a case convincing enough to those voters, evangelicals, conservatives, especially older voters. It's important that you convey ideas in a very obvious, simplistic, easy-to-digest manner, and it's best done in gotcha moments like that. Um, that said, I'm not sure they'll embrace it. Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, people like that do not like to involve themselves in stuff like that. Though I saw it the other day, uh, a brief aside, I saw Pete Buttigieg go on Fox News in regards to the vice presidents who we'll be talking about next. And he had a moment very much like that where he, he talked nothing but truth and he had great facts to back up his own. It was a, a comment about Donald Trump being on the same ticket as Mike Pence. Why would Mike Pence want to be on the same ticket as a man who was caught with a porn star uh, and has fathered many kids to three different wives? That's a good question. Not only is that a good question, but that's an excellent, excellent ender to a segment on Fox News who's, you know, their demographic is largely not going to be accepting of democratic ideals but when people like moderates like Pete Buttigieg go on and, and and claim these things and make great bold statements that truly do make you think make you think maybe it's all a facade maybe there's a point there it's it's messengers like that and and more importantly moments like that that are going to sell democratic left-leaning progressive ideals to the right wing to the conservatives to the evangelicals it's it's going to be actions like that and i think that's what we need to count on in the coming years of politics even though it does certainly and and by my own admission i'd agree does certainly seem to degrade the nobility of politics though i think largely the population is done with the nobility of politics we want solutions we want things fixed and if you can't provide that you're going to get voted out uh, that that is the way of the future, and I think that's that's a far better way than playing politics and, and you know pretending to be some great hero when you hold your nose at a massive relief package just so the other guy doesn't get the win either. Moving on, we will talk about the VP debate and the fallout. I understand it's a bit late, but I think it's also an important topic to cover. I think the vice presidential debate was, quite frankly. 300 times better than the presidential debate. You could say that's because it's not two 70-plus-year-old men screaming at each other and, and Chris Wallace struggling to hold them together. But you could also say that Kamala Harris and Mike Pence, for as much question dodging as they did, seem to have more substance. Um, the conversations about fracking, the conversations about uh, Kamala Harris's record, though, of course, she would dodge those and Pence would dodge questions about COVID-19. Both of them actually brought substantial arguments. Uh, and while the fly may have dragged the national attention away from those arguments, I think it's important to highlight that 
again, while they dodged questions, Kamala Harris seemed to have her stuff together. She, while it wasn't an insanely incredible performance, neither did Mike Pence have a very charismatic performance either. I, I think both of them, had the president's been different, had the presidential debate gone in the favor of, of one or the other, you could definitely claim that the coattails of, of, of that president um, would have highlighted the exceptionalism on the VP debate stage, because I think both of them are excellent charismatic talkers. Uh, I, I think it's not even just, you know, speaking or speech oration. I think both of them had, had decent facts. I think the Kamala Harris um, Abraham Lincoln comparison, that allegory was phenomenal. I think Mike Pence was very smart to stay on branding, to stay on point with fracking, um, obviously singling out Pennsylvania for their you know, hopes of that swing state going red this this upcoming election, though I, I think that is a bit difficult to swallow, especially Joe Biden playing up his Scranton um, background. I can't imagine the Republicans will win this th uh, come 2020. but. With that said, Pence was much more on messaging than Trump, and Kamala was much more, dare I say, together than Joe Biden was. He, obviously, with his age and, and well-known his stutter that he's had since birth, he is a difficult speaker to listen to, much like Hillary was in 2016, though his charisma is far better. His laugh and smile when he's insulted is a thousand times more convincing than Hillary's ever was. So to add on to... A, a debate that was just filled with insults and filled with mudslinging. It was it was very difficult to watch. Um, I I think Biden did certainly not come out on top, but but Trump definitely dragged himself down a little bit with the mudslinging. And I think it doesn't work as well when your opponent isn't nearly as hated. Uh, while Hillary Clinton was obviously public enemy number one, nearly at any rate, when 2016 rolled around. All that is to say, when you come back to the VP debate, it's not about, really speaking, it, it's not about their national profiles. And of course, you could claim that's all it's about because Hillary, it, rather Kamala, is going to be moving forward in, in national politics. And I'm sure Pence would try and run for president if 2020 goes Trump's way. Um, both of them have aspirations to continue in politics, being young enough to do so. So... You, you could argue that they're both just looking out for themselves, but I think when a ticket is is so messy, as it, as it was obviously on display during the first and I think final presidential debate, I think these, these vice presidential debates are incredibly important. I think watching these two stand their ground, had either of them faltered, had either of them had a bad showing, I think it truly could have tilted the presidential ballast. I think we could have seen a poll swing, not, of course, for the favorability of those two vice presidents or you know, vice presidential candidates, but I think the presidents and, and the, the former VP could have seen really large swings had Kamala dropped the ball or had Pence dropped the ball. Um, and even jokes aside with the fly, I think Pence... He held himself together. I think he, I was expecting him to crack at one point, and he certainly was condescending, though you could say that of Kamala as well. Um, Pence had his moments, but he, he also kept himself together and especially on brand with fracking and whatnot. So I, I find it difficult to criticize either of them, though, of course, I agree with Kamala's arguments much more. It, it is very evident and and even in post polling it's evident that both of them did quite well i think we saw a three point move down in in favorability for both of them which is to be expected um 
and and no really major upsets, no questions, no gotcha moments as we referenced earlier. So I think it's it's all things considered a pretty decent VP debate for both of them. Um, that said, I think Pence was certainly looking for a victory there, and it, it it was very much something of a Rorschach test. As I, you know, looked through post debate polling, I looked through post debate reactions and interpretations. If you're a Democrat, you thought Kamala did great, and if you're a Republican, you thought Pence did better. It's it really all comes down to what you wanted to hear going in. So I can't. I can't truly say, of course, because I had an opinion, but I don't think independents are going to sway too heavily based on either of their performances. The fracking was very on brand, and I think that could have moved the needle a little, little bit. But I also think Kyle came back with the taxes will not be raised on anyone making less than $400,000 a year. That was an excellent branding thing that she she kept bringing back. And I'm I'm not even entirely convinced of its, its, its truthfulness, but I'm certainly... You know, leaving that debate, if I was a, a regular man who, who knew nothing about either of these people or the parties or the politics or even the state of America today, if I left there, I would know two things, or I would think I knew two things. One, that Joe Biden's going to ban fracking, and two, that Joe Biden will not raise taxes on anyone making over four hundred or under $400,000 a year. So I think the branding was on point. I, I also think it was odd that they defended the Green New Deal during the vice presidential debate, much like they did in the regular presidential debate, um, mainly because that's not on Joe Biden's policy page. He does he references it once, but he does not stand for it. So I find it a little bit comical as a wrap-up. I think it's a little strange that they would even try and fight on that hill when it's not something they need to convince the American public of. Though I'm glad they're doing the heavy lifting for the progressives because we obviously don't have a a real uh, outward projection of ideas on a, on a regular basis devoid of, you know, the average presidential primary where we have a, a progressive run and, of course, make national headlines during those debates. But other than that, there isn't a great outlet other than independent media and the occasional time that Bernie Sanders get brought on to CNN or Andrew Yang gets brought on to CNN. Um, devoid of that, there there isn't much on the moving. So all of that is to say, what predictions do I have moving into the very, very late stages of the election? One... I think state races are going to be key. I think no matter who the president is, if some of these state races go either way, you could see massive changes. And I I truly do mean that. In Arizona, we're looking at Mark Kelly's victory. It's almost assured, and I don't want to be cocky, nor do I want to try and inflate his ego, but it looks like McSally's not going to win. Um, There's a toss-up in Montana, I think, I mean, I, I only had brief exposure to the man uh, when he ran during the, the primary. With that said, I think uh, Steve Bullock has a great chance of flipping Montana. Um, I mean, he being the only Democratic governor of the state for, I, I honestly don't know, but I, I assume a very long time, um, him getting that, that seat, flipping that seat would be quite impressive. I think if the... Especially in South Carolina, the the state race against Graham. If Lindsey loses that seat, he's out of politics. It's it's much akin to Sessions losing in Alabama. I think it, they're at the point where they're old enough that if they lose, they they really can't come back with a powerful and convincing claim uh, or a, a great campaign to bring them back into their former glory. Um, so if Jamie Harrison can win, 
He would not only bring a progressive platform to South Carolina and unseat one of the most notorious Republican um, Republican representatives in the Senate. I think it would mark a very interesting change. It would show the vulnerability in these states that we once thought were safe in the Trumpian era. That said, I think Joe Collins has a pretty good chance at unseating uh, Representative Maxine Waters here in California. I think he's an he's an African American Republican man who's running against her, and and I as some uh, an LA native, I see his ads and I see his um, posters and branding all around the city when you drive. He's just inescapable. Does that mean anything? Yeah, it does, because like Lindsey Graham is, is complaining about, spending is nearly everything. Seeing something on the news is one thing, but seeing it in real life, getting an ad for something, you hear it 10, 12, 20, 300 times, eventually you're gonna remember it. And going into those those voting booths or, or you know sending in your ballots, I could see an upset. I could see Maxine Waters being one of the, the very famous and, and much older representatives in California. I could see it, it going uh, Joe's way. That said, I, I wouldn't expect the upset, but if it happens, I mean, that is the nature of an upset. I, I think if it happens, we shouldn't be that surprised, especially given the spending that I'm, I'm sure he's doing here. And I'm sure he's getting help from not only the state, but the national GOP to make it happen, because it's it's really quite impressive. Um, Jamie Harrison, I, I only know the, the spending statistics. It's something like four to one in South Carolina, which, of course, being a traditional red state, losing that seat and unseating Lindsey Graham, not only gives them the seat, but he, he's gone for good. So these these are the things that matter. And, and why do I think they matter is because those coattails, those victories are going to be what gives Joe Biden a victory. If you go in to vote for Jamie Harrison over Lindsey Graham or you go in to vote for Mark Kelly over Martha McSally, you're going to vote Democrat almost 99.99% of the time. You're going to vote down ballot Democrat, which includes Joe Biden. And in states like that, which aren't traditional swing states, you could see a serious upset. I would not be expecting either, of course, but if it happens, it would be, it would mark a serious change in the vulnerability of incumbents and once thought secure uh, representatives and, and elected officials. Moving on to national polling, I think Joe Biden versus Trump, the showdown of the millennium, I don't know. Between those two, I think there are going to be some upsets. I think there's going to be uh, serious challenges in states that Trump should not be losing. And I think that's largely due to his unfavorability with COVID. I think his handling of COVID, obviously, it's, it's, it's a virus. It's very difficult to blame him for everything. However, I think a national mask mandate would have been important. I, I think a true ban on travel early on would have been great. However, as he likes to claim he banned travel from China early on, we still had some 40,000 American citizens in China come back after the virus was already spreading out of control. I find that difficult to claim that you truly did all you could to protect every American citizen or the majority of American citizens back in the, the home country. All of that said, I think with with 2016 behind us, trusting polls is difficult. And we may all have PTSD from that night where everyone was saying 99% Hillary success chance. You know, it, it, it was everywhere. No one thought Trump would win, and, and he still did. And it was an impressive political victory. 
with that all said and done, I think Joe Biden is is sort of pushing the opposite way. I think state polling is much more important than national polling. But state polling in places like Iowa, in places like Ohio, in places like North Carolina, in places like Georgia, in states that should be secure, and in Texas, let's not forget, in secure red states, it doesn't look incredible for Trump. And while he may still win these states, a move of three to four to five to six points in some of these states is going to be a monumental, monumental watershed moment for state party officials, for Democrats and Republicans, because it's it's going to be a real awakening. Again, people who go to vote Democrat in the national election are more likely to vote Democrat uh, down the ballot than than not. Uh, it's difficult to mix parties just based on the way ballots work in most states. So these are these are excellent chances for Democrats. These are excellent chances for movement to the left in some of these states that were considered deep red, that were considered non-purple. We could move them into the purple category. And, and I think with the non-existent of, quote unquote, swing states, purple states in the last few elections, um, mainly 2016, with, with the removal of Colorado, which is now pretty firmly blue, especially with Cory Gardner uh, looking quite un, unsafe in his, his seat. Um, these states, there will be new states that will become swing states. And I, I think Florida is, is going deeper red. I don't see this going for Biden come 2020. I don't see Florida flipping blue. I think that's pretty deep red. And I think the poll numbers in the state show it. And I think the crowd show it as well, um, as dangerous as that may be. I still do think Pennsylvania would go to Biden. Um, I do think there is the possibility for an upset in Ohio or Iowa, though Ohio is more likely. I think places like Michigan, Wisconsin, these are states that Biden could win easily or or could have to fight for. But I, I could also imagine quite easily that he would just steamroll through them um, without, without much resistance. Uh, by by some three, four, five point margin. So it, it will be interesting to see come come election day and the days uh, just after. But it's 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 truly in in my heart of hearts when I I think about it and I and I I look at state polling and I look at um, down the ballot races. I do see this going for Biden at the current moment. Now, of course, this could change in an instant if that bill gets signed for relief uh, relief. And it should, for the record, if it gets signed for relief, it gives Trump a massive advantage at the very beginning or at the very least these, you know, going in for two, three weeks till the election day. I think it's going to give him that boost. I think, you know, checks signed Trump. That does stuff for a lot of people, unfortunately. So it doesn't mean, of course, that that Trump would be guaranteed a victory if those uh, relief checks went out. Nor do I think the checks may even get out, but I think at least right now, based on polling and and more importantly state polling and and down the ballot races, I think Biden would indeed take this one. And just to wrap this all up, I wanted to talk about something that had been bugging me, had been bothering me just a little bit. Um, as I as I let on, I'm a California resident. I have been inundated with advertisements for propositions as the election draws near. And I think it's important for everyone at home and everyone listening and everyone in the United States of America to understand that the insidious marketing tactics for propositions is incredible. It is mind boggling. Um, some propositions, just to use a few examples, Prop 22 is what guarantees 
workers for rideshare companies. Uh, it, it removes their contractor status and makes them employees with full benefits. Um, it is being marketed in a number of ways. I saw an ad that nearly made me choke on the water I was drinking because it claimed that by voting yes on, or I, I believe it's voting yes on, on Prop 22, you're protecting every drunk person ever. And, and especially it was, it was mothers against drunk driving who are saying you should vote yes on Prop 22 to protect their rideshare status because that would indeed uh, you know, keep less drunk people from driving. That isn't the case. It has nothing to do with whether they're independent contractors or not. They'd still be driving. The rideshare companies would still be offering their services. That has nothing to do with people who are drunk and getting Lyfts and Ubers to go home. It's really just a scare tactic. And it, it actually, I was a bit surprised that they weren't breaking some law. Um, the same thing, they, they claim voting yes on Prop 22 would allow people to work their hours more in their favor. And while that is certainly true, they would have their own company restrictions when this prop, if, if this proposition failed and they became employees, I think it's important that to, to at least understand that these workers, these now employees, would still have a very similar company schedule. They would still probably work on the same time, their own time, uh, independent of the company. They wouldn't, just because their name changes to employee doesn't mean they would guarantee a new set schedule as if you were working at a grocery store. The, these sort of marketing tactics are, are a little bit scary, and I'm sure there was another proposition, and pardon me for not knowing the, the number right off my head, but it's the one that enforces standards on dialysis clinics inside the state of California, and that seems like Every, that, that's, that's sort of like support our troop or support kids with cancer in hospitals. It's kind of one of those things that you would just inherently assume is a good thing. However, they market it. I mean, the people that are opposed to the dialysis plant uh, improvement plan, that this this uh, proposition, they claim that it would put you know thousands of clinics out of out of work. It would it would make it so it's impossible to get uh, a dialysis treatment in a lot of places. And in reality, it would just force these places, since there would still be a market for these people. And, and unfortunately, it, it is a market system. There would still be people with needs for dialysis and dialysis clinics. So they would just need to hire more staff. They would need to improve their equipment. And these things should be no-brainers, but of course they're marketed as the end of the world for those who need dialysis. And it's important to make sure that we understand the ramifications of these propositions before you go in to vote. Because listening to the ads put out by rideshare companies that don't want to pay for healthcare regarding issues of the healthcare for their employees, it's quite obvious to see the angle they're playing. But if you don't put much thought into it, it's quite easy to fall into the trap and think you're on the right side when, of course, you're... Well, I know this is arguable, debatable, but it doesn't seem like you have the workers' best interest in mind uh, going in the vote. So it was just a little aside I wanted to mention and something that had been bugging me, especially given you know the election being quite close and the advertisements for this is just everywhere, especially Prop 22. I think they've spent about $185 million on the ad campaign throughout California to make sure that this proposition passes and protects their contractor status, which removes the need for companies to pay for health care and benefits. Um, it, it, it's insidious and it's, it's, it's scary, but of course, money is the voice of the company and that has been, a, you know, affirmed so all you need you know affirmed by the courts that is and 
the only thing you can do about it is vote the right way. Vote vote the way that, that is truly in, in the minds and hearts of workers, in the minds of hearts of those who, who need these benefits and who are struggling, uh, especially given the pandemic. So it's incredibly important you go in and you research these that are often an afterthought on ballots and often an afterthought moving forward uh, when you go to vote um, or, or you, you send in your absentee ballot. These things, they're far more important than you may realize. And, and oftentimes, your vote for Biden in California means next to nothing, given that the electoral vote will go his way anyways. But your vote on a proposition could be the deciding factor in a quality medical system or the right to sick days and healthcare for a rideshare worker. So it's important that we keep these things in mind as we move forward, especially as election day draws near. Thank you for listening through to the end. We'd really appreciate it if you check us out at Aligning America on Instagram and Twitter. And if you really enjoyed it and want more content like this, be sure to head over to our Patreon to ensure we can keep putting out episodes, changing hearts and minds one podcast at a time. Thank you.